0: Listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestcolona.ca. When when Paul took and started to write here this new new part of the letter in Philippians, I believe he must. Uh, have have penned this after having his morning shot of coffee with maybe a little bit of espresso or something in it. Because when when you take this passage and when we read it and and you see what he has to say there, he is pretty fired up. He's just not like writing this letter to his dear friends. Oh, and another thing. No, he's like... a bit of of excitement. He's pretty fired up and so, you know, if Paul's fired up, I trust I'm going to be fired up as well as we get into this because it is God's Word. It's living and active and and it's so applicable for our lives today. I mean, God has just been doing a work in my own life as I've been been going through this throughout the course of this week and allowing God's Word to marinate into my heart and into my soul and I trust that it will have a, a good effect as it is lived out in my life, not just spoken out in my life. We know Paul. He was I mean, he was the Apostle Paul, he was a church planter, we know that he was also a tent maker at times on the side, he would make tents to support himself, but we also know that he was a pastor, and the reason why we know he's a pastor is because the very first word in chapter 3, what's the very first word? What is it? Finally. And, And you know that's pastor lingo, that when a pastor says finally, that it means nothing at all whatsoever, right? Because, I mean, you know... It's just like when when the pastor's preaching he says, Finally and 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 the little boy said to his dad, Dad, what does it mean when the pastor says finally? And and this the father looked at his son, he says, Son, it means nothing at all. Because here Paul has just finished writing sixty verse sixty verses to the people and now he's finally, and he goes on for another 44. He's not done. He's still kind of just, just ready to go. And so, so he says finally, but he, he doesn't really mean finally. And, uh, and, and because he had more, you know, just, oh, and another thing. He, he thought he was kind of landing the plane. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, another thing. And so he takes off again. He lands the plane 44 verses later after he says finally. And so we know he was a pastor because he spoke like a pastor. And um, so I'm not saying finally yet. I'll say it a little later on, and then you'll know we might be getting near the end. But here in this passage, I mean, just the, the previous chapter, he just finished off just in talking about some encouraging friends. He, he said, remember Timothy and Epaphroditus? I mean, those guys, were, those guys were solid. Those guys were, I mean, just such an encouragement to the church and, and such examples, as we talked about last week, for us to follow even today. But now, he says, finally, and now he goes into an incredible rebuke and warning regarding some foes to the genuine faith. So here he's talking about some friends to emulate. Here he's talking about some foes or some enemies that you better stay clear of, that you better watch out for, because there was some serious stuff going on here, and so he gives a solemn warning. But before he gets into that warning, he says, first of all, in verse 1, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And he just always... I mean, this is the theme of the book. Rejoice in the Lord. It's the, the theme of joy. It's, it's not rejoice in your circumstances because sometimes our circumstances don't cause us to rejoice. But we can rejoice in the lord in all things knowing he has a plan when life is good rejoice in the lord when life is hard rejoice in the lord when it's confusing rejoice in the lord when life is like a roller coaster like this with events and different things going on in your lives with highs and lows rejoice in the lord new christian rejoice in the lord long time christian rejoice in the lord and now as he in and he says and it's not a problem for me to tell you this remember he's in jail and he's encouraging them hey friends rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I'm in prison. Don't know if I'm going to make it out of here. It's not a problem for me to write this to you. Rejoice, he says. But now in verse 2, he says, look out for those dogs. (laughs) Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These are strong, strong words that he's saying. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. I mean, here now, the, the guns are fully blazing, and he's ready to go. And he says, look out for the dogs. And, and what he's talking about, you know, you might say, well, that's kind of mean to talk about people's pets in that way. Well, I'll just assure you, he's not talking about Mandy. He's not talking about Rossi or Roscoe or Optimist. or so Those are some of the names of some of the dogs that are represented here, or Cujo, our beloved, that may he keep looking down upon us. He is because we buried him up behind our house on a hill. So I guess no matter what, don't know if dogs go to heaven, but I know our dog is looking down on us all the time, you know, and, and so he's not talking about our pets that we have in our house. He's, he's not talking, they didn't have pets in Bible days that would sleep in your bed with you and lick your face and, you know, and, and they didn't have doggy spas or doggy daycares back then and, and nor did they have any fancy artisan, GMO, gluten-free, organic designer dog food for, for you know, at their dogs back then that The kind of dogs that he's talking about here are the dogs that would be more like the coyotes or, or they would run in packs. They would be out, outside the camp oftentimes. They would be not even necessarily the neighborhood dogs. They're talking about the ones that would cause some problems and get them in a group, watch out. They could be very uh, dangerous or detrimental for children or even for, for adults. And so this is how he's referring to them as some people as dogs. He says, the dogs are the evildoers. He goes on to say about those who mutilate the flesh. I mean, these are just some, some pretty harsh words. But what he is referring to here are some religious people. He's talking about some very holy kind of religious people. People who really kept the laws in some incredible ways. And, 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 and yet he's calling them some pretty harsh words. And these, this group of people he's talking about, they're Judaizers. And they were Jewish Christians that believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So they believed in Jesus. They believed very much in the life, the birth, the, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. But they also believed that you needed to continue to follow the Mosaic law. That the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was still just as relevant. And so you've got to believe in Jesus, but you also need to keep the law. And especially if you were a convert, if you were a Gentile, if you weren't a Jew, and you were coming to, to faith in Christ, which there were a lot of people doing that, that if you're a Christian, you better get circumcised. That was their first thing is the mark of, of a true believer, is someone who believes in Jesus, and for the male, is circumcised. And they were adamant about this. And they, wherever the gospel was going, the Judaizers were there to follow and, and, and tell people, okay, now it's time. Have you been circumcised? Well, you're not in i don 't know how you know uh, greeters in church in those days i don 't know how they would find that out, but you know um, it, it was one of those things that it, it was just you know these Judaizers I mean and they were so so controlling about this and, and, and so they, they believed in this and and even today we can have Judaizers now it may not be an issue of circumcision, although for some it might be, but even today we can have Christians, we can have churches, we can have denominations that believe that Salvation is found in Jesus. They love Jesus. They, they think he's great. He's the Messiah. But in order to have true salvation, you also have to do this, 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 and this in order to be truly saved. Paul, today, he talks about what it means to truly be saved, what is genuine faith. This kind of teaching this understanding of the judaizers or even that we have today is a distortion of the gospel and paul is writing this warning to his to the church in philippi beware of the religious people not all religious people are in it for the right reasons not all of religious people are preaching teaching the full gospel Paul is warning the church, those who boast about their accomplishments and their religious activities and force you to do it and, and, and always trying to one-up you, always trying to be that holier-than-thou, watch out for them. And so Paul goes on in the next few verses here to give his own spiritual resume, and we see that genuine faith, we see what genuine faith is really all about, and genuine faith is about losing in order to find, losing in order to find. And so in verse 4, let's pick it up here. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, (laughs) I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so he goes in here and he just shares about his own spiritual resume. And folks, today, things I'd encourage you to be writing down will be the notes you'll see here on the screen, is that in order to experience authentic faith, we must first of all lose, the first thing we lose, lose the religious ceremonies and turn to Jesus. Lose the religious ceremonies and turn to Jesus. In verse 4, Paul said, he said, circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, what he's saying here is he says, I was born a Jew. I was from a family of Jews. I had a great heritage. I received the mark of circumcision on a very, at a very special ceremony. And so I'm in. I was circumcised a Jew. And Paul is saying that no religious ceremony can save you. God's word tells us no religious ceremony can save you. Back a number of years ago when we were pastoring in Alberta, a tragic thing happened in our small community, uh, uh, a father backed over his young child and that child passed away. And as some folks in our church were part of the volunteer fire department that responded to that, it was just a very sad and a very troubling scene to come upon. But what was even more troubling was not only the the parents finding out and realizing that their little boy did not live, that he would not survive, was all of a sudden they realized, they said, we never had him, we never had him baptized. We're bad Christians, we we didn't have him baptized, and and so he has no chance of, of going to heaven. And they went and called the priest, and the priest came and baptized the child right there. Hoping that this would gain entrance for their child to go to heaven. No religious ceremony will get you to heaven. Lose the religious ceremonies and turn to Jesus. I had such good news for those parents. Because in God's word we see that little children are near and dear to the heart of God. And that it didn't take a religious ceremony for that little child to to go to heaven. Jesus accepted him into his arms. No religious ceremony. Lose the religious ceremony and turn to Jesus. Sometimes we think, well, I was baptized as an infant or a child or as an adult. None of that saves us. You, you take the Lord's Supper. doesn't save you. you. You took certain classes and even got a certificate. doesn't save you. Paul was saying, I was an eighth-dayer. I got circumcised on the eighth day. Strict compliance to the law. Which leads us to the next thing that we need to lose. We need to lose the family background. He goes on to say, um, here in verse 4, he says, Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, he's saying, I'm the real deal. I have the family heritage. My parents were not proselytes. They, they were born Israelites. They didn't come into the faith. They were already, you know, true blood Israelites. We, we are from the Israelite clan, in a sense. We are God's chosen ones. And even more than that, tribe of Benjamin. There was no better tribe to be from. I mean, that was, that was the tribe to be from. I mean, because after all, I mean, Benjamin, I mean, that was, that, that was the only tribe to remain faithful to the house of Israel after the death of, of Solomon. Paul's name, his original name, what was it? Saul? What was that a derivative of? The short form of? Solomon. He had a great name, tribe of Benjamin full-blooded Israelite, I've got the heritage, I've got the name, It says, lose the family background, lose the family heritage, and turn to Jesus. There are many in this room that have been part of a strong spiritual heritage. Be thankful for it. You grew up, I mean, it, it, there was a common joke with the six kids in our family that, you know, I mean, it saved the front row or the, the second row in, in the service because no one sat in the front row. Thank you, you two, for doing that. And hope that changes here uh, next week. Love to see it full. Um, but the, the Lutzers would always sit on the left-hand side. That was our, our pew, and it was a pew. And it was long, and, and we all fit on there, you know. And, and that was the place where, I mean, we... I mean, it was within days of me being born that that I was in church. And and I'm so thankful for the heritage. My my father was involved. He was a a farmer on the side, but also involved in a full-time Christian ministry, promoting revival across Canada and North America. In fact, all five of his siblings were involved in some sort Of Christian ministry from uh, from a pastor to two of my aunts were missionaries served served in Mexico and in Africa for many years Uh, another one of my uncles he established a Christian camp that has seen thousands and thousands of of young people people of all ages come to know Christ I mean great heritage so thankful for it my grandparents I mean Faithful people that came to Christ. They turned from religion when they came over to Canada. They were very religious people. They turned to Jesus and set their family to follow Jesus, not perfectly, but progressively. My grandfather lived to 106, my grandmother to 102. You know, and, and just this. And, and my grandmother, I, I I have it at home. I have the, the prayer card that she would, would pray for her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, her great-great-grandchildren. What a heritage! Paul says, lose the family heritage and turn to Jesus. When I stand before Jesus saying, last name, Lutzer, it won't mean nothing. <laughs> Just like most of you, it means nothing. I think that's his last name. It won't mean anything to Jesus. Lose the family background and turn to him. Thirdly, next thing we see here is lose the education and turn to Jesus. Verse 5, it says, Hebrew Hebrews, Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, this meant he had been trained by the very best. He would have spoken Aramaic, the common language of the day, but he was also fluent. He could read, he could pray, he could read the scriptures, all in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. He was born in, in uh, Cilicia, but his parents sent him to Jerusalem to be trained under the rabbi Gamaliel. I mean, he had, I mean, private school education. I mean, this guy, I mean, didn't reports come out this past week on, on you know, the top schools in, in British Columbia and all the controversy? Like, no, that's not, those, those are skewed, you know, whatever it is. But it seems the top schools are private schools oftentimes. And so, so even for Paul, it was like private school train had the best rabbi ever. I mean, look at me, Hebrew of Hebrew, could, you want me to, to speak in Hebrew? I can speak in Hebrew, and all of a sudden you can just be able to go off in, in Hebrew. I mean, same for us. We can grow up in Sunday school, attend Bible studies. We can memorize great portions of Scripture. We can uh, take Bible courses. We can teach Bible courses. Still doesn't save you. Lose the education and turn to Jesus. Fourthly, lose the good behavior and turn to Jesus. Verse 5, it says, as to the law, a Pharisee. Pharisees, for him, that was a good term. For us, it's kind of a kind of term. But but then, that was part of an elite group. I mean, special, 6,000 of them approximately during that time of these elite kind of super fundamentalist, strict kind of folks. I mean, some of the stuff you read about them, it's absolutely, I'm going to share it with you in a moment, I mean, it's absolutely um, I found it funny this week because then my mind goes different places when I think about some of this stuff. I mean, they, they were just, they were crazy when it came to keeping the law. I mean, their good behavior was amazing. I mean, they were so careful about the food that they ate and the clothes that they wore and the company that they kept. And I think I talked about the, a, a number of weeks ago, talked about the Pharisees that would walk with their heads down because they were called the bleeding, bleeding head Pharisees because they kept their heads down so they, their eye wouldn't cause them to stumble into areas of sin and that. And so, so anyways... What ends up happening here is, they um, they would start building fences around the law in order for them to keep the law, so they wouldn't break the law. And in fact, okay, one of the commandments, you know what, you're not to work on the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath day holy, so we can't work on the Sabbath. So what constitutes work? Hmm. So they came up with six hundred different categories for what constitutes work and what doesn't constitute work. And so on the Sabbath, there was the worship and and, and different things, but, but you can't work. And so they figured if you carry anything more than two figs, that was work. They just wanted to be clear. They didn't want to break it, right? In fact, the Pharisees would not and this was some of the reading I did this weekend like are you serious? I mean just I mean this isn't in the Bible, this is from historical writings. Um, one of the things of course reaping and sowing, like like going and harvesting anything, don't do that on the Sabbath. Remember that kind of Jesus got a little trouble because the disciples are going through and, and gathering some some kernels like oh you're you're sinning. You know what? You're sinning on the Sabbath, you know what you're you're harvesting, and so Um, So some of these Pharisees, they wouldn't allow their wives to look in any sort of a mirror on the Sabbath because, and seriously, this is what what I read this week, is that she might happen to see a whisker on her chin and go to pull it and that would be seen as harvesting and so she wasn't permitted to look in that because she just might harvest the whisker on her chin. I'm like what is she doing with the whiskers? Is she saving them up and making, you know what, a nice little bracelet out? I, like I have no I mean that's where just my mind goes crazy. I'm like are you serious? I mean, he was I mean, he was kicking when it came to the good behavior sort of thing. I mean, incredible what this guy. I mean, he lived such a squeaky clean life. I mean, when, when he walked, he probably did squeak because he was just so, 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 so squeaky clean in every part of his life. He was so disciplined. Lose the good behavior, turn to Jesus. Next, lose the zeal and turn to Jesus. Look at it in verse 6. As to, the ze- as to zeal, persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul believed and he knew in his heart that what he was doing at the time as this elite Pharisee, zealous kind of guy, he believed he was right. And any threat to what he believed and to the law was a a serious threat and it needed to be dealt with. And so he did. In fact, he just didn't sit around and criticize. I mean, the rumors were spreading and then he found out for himself there was this new group of people. It was called The Way. They weren't called Christians early on. They were called the way, the people who followed the way, the way of Jesus. And so he was on a rampage, a personal one, gathered together, a group. He had orders from the teachers of the law. I mean, he had his orders to go out and to persecute the church, to round them up, kill them, put them in jail, and he was a part of this. He was zealous for keeping the law and any threat to it. He was willing to to not just sit there and watch about it, not sit there and criticize and complain. He got in there and he did it. He was very zealous. And in verse 6, where it says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Notice he doesn't say sinless because he knew he wasn't sinless, that at times he would mess up. But he was blameless, like no one could blame him for, for anything that he would have done. I mean, he, his discipline was impeccable. He had an iron will. I mean, no living soul on the face of this earth could one-up him. No one. He was poster child for when it came to righteousness. I mean, his credentials and his lifestyle, I mean, incredible. Parents would point to a guy like Saul, now, as we know him, the Apostle Paul, and say, when you grow up, you need to be like him. You need to marry a guy like him. He was the touted number one draft pick, if you want to call it. He was the Connor McDavid, if you want to put it into Canadian terms. I mean, he was the undisputed, spiritual, heavyweight champion of religious activity and involvement. He was the poster child, as I said, of religion. And so Paul is saying here in verse verse 3, these dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators, these Judaizers that are coming along, are basically, they're little league compared to my accomplishments. And the final thing that we see that he needs to lose, he calls us to lose, is lose yourself and turn to Jesus. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've listened to the news lately. I I read this this past week. There's a new game that police are warning their parents about. It's called the Game of 72. And it's where young people are trying to vanish for 72 hours. And you win the game by... Whoever causes the biggest hysteria with parents, with police, with social media, whatever. And so you have young people that are just, just going off radar. Just, just parents and people can't find them. And, and the all-out search is. And, and the winner of, of, of this game is the person who either can't be found or creates the biggest hysteria. That's not what we're talking about here about when it comes to losing yourself. Look at in verse 7, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, underline in your Bibles the word everything, as loss because of the, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What Paul is doing here in this in this verse, he's using some accounting terms. Those of you who are accountants might actually like this. Basically, he was giving a whole bunch of, he's talking gains and losses here. He's talking about credits and debits. And he's saying, look at my gains. Look at all these gains. Look at my resume. Look at these credits that are, my, it's stacked in favor of me. Just look at it. It's just, there's no debits. It's all credits. But then in a blinding moment, on the road to Damascus, They all went from the credit column over to the debit column. And Jesus Christ became his only credit. Jesus Christ was the one that he would put his faith and his trust entirely in. You see, oftentimes you'll hear people say today, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. These Judaizers, as long as they're sincere in what they're believing, that's okay. You know, and this religious group over here, you know what, there's... But they're so sincere, and, and they're so you know I'm sure that it's okay. No, folks, the problem is, do we have a water bottle around here? I none of them made it in. You know, I could be I could have a water bottle, and uh, here we go. And and Dwayne may have filled it with arsenic, knowing that I might drink some, just so you have an early out today on Mother's Day, and and um, and let's say it's arsenic in here, and. I'm just sincerely believing, though, that it's not. And so by faith, I'm going to, to do this, you know, and, and I'm sincerely, <laughs> I guess, hoping it's not. Our, I guess we'll find out. No, it's good. Well, you're so sick right now. You better get me some oil then. Um, all right. So anyways, so here we are. Um, not thieves, though, because that just wouldn't go well, that, that term, right? <laughs> anyway, um, now where was I? The problem is, just being sincere isn't good enough because you can be sincerely wrong. And sincerely wrong about your eternity. You can be sincerely wrong about what you're banking your salvation on. Folks, our salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. And he goes on to say, verse 8 For this sake, for his sake, I have suffered loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul just swore here in their language. I mean, he was so, this is the passion. This is just him fired up. And he is, he, he, he's just, he's so emphatic about all of these things. The religious ceremonies, the family background, the education, the good behavior, the zeal. And even anything about myself, anything about trying to think I can save myself. And what does he say? It's rubbish. He lost his status. He lost his wealth. He lost his assured position. No longer were kids trading the, the 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 Saul of Tarsus trading card. It was like, oh, get rid of that thing. Burn it. You know, like I mean he was no longer poster child. He was now enemy to 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 the judaizers and to these kind of people his reputation within society was 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 forever tarnished and and he embraced a life of hardship and abuse and he did it willingly for the sake of christ and he wouldn't trade it for anything here he is in jail not knowing if he's gonna live or not and he's filled with joy and that joy doesn't come from himself we're going to talk about where that joy comes from He could and would no longer lean on his past, on his background, on his heritage, but only on Jesus Christ. And he says, I count them all as rubbish. That word rubbish was a crude, expletive then. It is today. It is the same word that we would use for dung or excrement. That's what he was talking about. He says, the best of our best without Jesus looks like a pile of rubbish compared to Christ. Good things religious activities and things can keep us and are keeping people today in our churches, in our city, around our world from authentic faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, the gospel is good news that we are saved. We're going to be singing in a few moments. I'm not saying finally yet because I don't want to lie to you. We're not quite there yet. We're not ready to land the plane. But when I do, we're going to be singing in Christ alone. That's where our faith is found. And so it is not about doing, 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 doing. That's all done, as Paul would say. The work for us has already been finished and completed in Christ. And what makes the gospel accessible to every man, woman, and child, no matter the background, no matter your status, what makes the gospel accessible? Are open hands that are ready to say, Jesus, I can't, but Jesus, you can come into my life. This is why the gospel is such good news. It's good news because it's not about trying harder, improving yourself and hoping that maybe you'll get enough traction and and on that last day, the big guy will say, you're in. You can be assured of your faith in Jesus Christ today. Maybe you don't have any of this in your background. That's very possible as well. You don't have religious ceremonies. You weren't brought up in, in a religious home. You don't have the spiritual background. You don't have the education. You don't have the good behavior. You don't have well. You have had, had zeal in your life, but maybe that zeal was for uh, sex and for partying and for living a life very outside of anything spiritual or religious. You know what the good news for you too? You'll lose all of that and turn to Jesus. Paul pursued a righteous life. But that righteousness afterwards didn't, wasn't for self-righteous purposes. It was in response to the good news, to the gospel. Look at in verse 9. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Authentic, genuine faith comes from Jesus Christ alone. It's so simple. And yet we can make it so difficult. Turning our lives over to Jesus. Asking him to forgive us of our sins. Repenting of those sins and turning to Jesus. I think of the words in an old hymn. Nothing in my hand I bring. Only to the cross I cling We cling to the finished work of Jesus Christ, what he has done. Paul pursued Jesus now in a different way, and we're going to talk about that in the next few moments. So now in Philippians 3, Paul is saying, Hey, listen, you Judaizers. And he was warning the church against the Judaizers. He says, those who are trying to be legalistic and, and trying to bring some of these observances back to the church, you're saved in, through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And, and perhaps you're, you're sitting here today and say, oh, Melvin, thank, mm, thank you. Thank you. Thank mm, you. Thank you for, for this reminder. Um, I believe this with, with all my heart. This is good. You know, it, it's so good to hear the gospel preached and, and to hear this in, in this kind of a way. And, and you've already responded to Christ and And if you've never received Christ as your your Savior, I would encourage you to do that today. You can be sure. You can know Jesus Christ. When we're singing in a few moments, I encourage you to come up to the front. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you after the service. Others who you know that are believers in Christ who have accepted Him would love to talk and pray with you and, and, and help you in that. But I also need to warn every one of us, about another very real and great danger. And this is the truth here, folks, and we need to listen up. Judaizers, Pharisee, that blood can be still in us. You see, it's very easy for us to get settled, if you want to call it, in our faith and become comfortable and after receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and maybe even have the date in your Bible or you have the date somewhere and, 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 and you've been baptized perhaps and, and, and I trust that you have been upon confession of your faith. It, it's not what saves you but it is that declaration, it is a command that, that Christ calls us as believers to do. And, and perhaps it, it, it's a stellar history of serving within the church, holding various positions in different things. And maybe you've led a lot of people to the Lord. Maybe you've given a lot of money to, to church and to other charities. And, and maybe you have a really good handle on God's word. You kind of know it. You know, you know your way around it. And, and uh, it's very easy for us to settle into a nice little comfortable Christian life. And there's no passionate pursuit. After Jesus, there's no cost to our faith, and what starts to happen is we start to play the compare game, and we look at others and and we say, "Well, <laughs> I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like them." You see, you see how they're raising their kids. <laughs> we don't raise our kids like that. Or, um, can you believe that? Can you believe what she said? I mean, I. T- I'd never say anything like that. And we start playing this holier than thou, this I'm saved and, um, and I do this and, and look at me. Or, or we want positions or we want to be seen because it elevates us and, and it, it kind of motivates us to, you know, in, it, or yeah, motivates us to, to do more things because of the attention that we get. And and we can almost walk around with sort of a religious swagger, kind of, I've got this figured out. A religious pride, a religious arrogance can set in. And kind of say, I've got it, I've got it figured out. And and you start going through the motions. You see, folks, write write down these three things. They're not going to be on the slides, but I encourage you to do this. We believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Amen? That's what we've been talking about. Amen? Believe Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus as Savior. Write that down. Next, Jesus as Lord. Another, like, amen. You know what? That doesn't get preached enough. You know, we'll oftentimes say that. Jesus Christ is Lord of all things. I surrender everything to him, and, and that's good. But, folks, those can be empty if we don't have the third one, and that is making Jesus our treasure, that we treasure him in all things. That we are getting to know Him in a greater and a greater way. It's humbly, daily discovering the humble pursuit of saying to Jesus, I can't. But you can. I can do it through your power. And you see, Paul didn't just rest in his salvation. Back in the last chapter, he talked about work it out. Keep going. And and look at what he says in verse 10. And this is, this is him wanting to treasure Jesus. He's saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the, the resurrection of the dead. Paul is saying I want to know Jesus. I want to know him more and more. On this side of eternity you will never know enough about Jesus. Jesus. There's more and more and more of him to discover. Why? Because he's infinite. And, be, and, and so with that comes infinite information and knowledge about Jesus and, and infinite reasons why we love him and worship him and why we need to continue to get to know him. As We focus our attention on him. It keeps us from becoming proud or resting on our own spiritual past. See, we can start resting on all these things and say, oh, I'm good, I'm good. Jesus is my Savior, yes, he's my Lord over most things. I can sing it, but we make Jesus our treasure. we go after him this week, I was talking with one of the biblical counselors he's going to be out in in a number of weeks to preach here. Nathan Penny will be here to preach and uh, from our sending church in oakville and and uh, we are talking about just a certain kind of um, spiritual discipline or, or what he was just. Uh, he said these words, and, and I just loved it, and i 've been able to think about it in, in a greater way this past week this past week, and he used this term, he says, "You need to get to the Grand Canyon. you need to get to the Grand Canyon. It, how many of you have been to the Grand canyon yeah, i haven 't been there yet. love to think it'd be pretty cool. Do we have a picture of the Grand Canyon? I think we have a picture of the grand Yeah, uh, apparently, it is stunning and and people say that when you walk walk into one of those observational areas, it's like, wow, this is amazing. Phenomenal, the Grand Canyon. How beautiful, how amazing, how glorious it is. We kind of get spoiled here in Western Canada because we have the Rocky Mountains. And when, especially, I mean, you feel pretty small when you're looking at those Rocky Mountains, don't you? I mean, even here in Kelowna, I mean, a few weeks ago, we we had a guest who was out visiting and, and he wanted to go up back behind where we lived in Cologne, Mountain, and it was just like, oh, I don't really know if I want to do this, and kind of, you know, it was evening, and, and all of that thing, and the weather wasn't all that great, but it was so amazing, as, as we, we started climbing up this, well, it wasn't a climb, climb, but I mean, it, it was work, I mean, got the old heart going, and had to stop a few times, and, and, and that sort of thing, but as you turn around, and you look, and it's just like, woohoo, like, beautiful, amazing, And it kind of takes your breath away and you realize how small and insignificant you are and how big and glorious our creation is. Well, when we get to the Grand Canyon in our understanding of Jesus on a daily basis where we are just enthralled in awe of his grace, of his might, of his power, that he will keep forgiving Dwayne over and over and over and over again throughout the day because... He needs it, right, Duane, as I need it in my life, that he continues, that the well continues to go deeper and deeper and deeper, and I'm amazed and in awe of what he has done. It's Jesus the Savior, Jesus is Lord, but we treasure him, and we're in awe and in amazement who he is and how we worship him. And it makes us see, I mean, sometimes we get pretty Pretty proud of our accomplishments. We get pretty proud or you know, start thinking, yeah, I've kind of got this thing figured out. We we think we're the big, big, the big deal, right? At least in our own minds. But when we get in view of Jesus and what he's done, we realize how small and how sinful, and yet how loving and large and amazing He is. Make Jesus your treasure. Go to the Grand Canyon today. And tomorrow, and even when we worship soon, I'm going to say finally, because we're getting close to landing the plane, and and, and, and even as we worship Him today, let your, your words and your mind and your thinking as we're worshiping not just be songs to, to get it over and get that cake that's out there, but allowing yourself to be just in awe of the grandeur and the amazement of the amazing grace and love that Jesus demonstrated to us and and the way that you get to your, the Grand Canyon is going to be different different times of the day different periods in your life different people different things this past week there has been a song that we've been playing in our house by Mercy Me that is called Flawless that that just I really enjoyed it a number of weeks ago and then my daughter Clarice this past week said dad you've got to watch the video and she shows me the video and and I'm in tears I got to the mountain. I got to, got to the Grand Canyon because there, as I, I saw, and it was a bit of a strange video even, too, at first, like, what's going on here? But I just saw how the cross of Jesus Christ has made me, has made you, flawless. None of that is going to make me flawless. It's just going to make me trying to run harder, be faster, be more zealous the cross that has made me flawless what stirs your affections for jesus in the gospel what gets you to the grand canyon of your faith and and allowing you to turn your eyes upon jesus and look full in his wonder maybe worship music though it's going to be the word of god obviously it needs to be god's word that that we're in god's word that's where we get solidly um rooted and in, 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 in the foundation in our lives is in and through God's word, but it's through worship songs as well, lifting high the name of Jesus as we pray. At times, it's the faith of others and the inspiration of others that, that at times just gets our eyes back on Jesus and say, I can't believe these amazing people, God, that you've blessed me with in my life. For most of us that have been saved for some time, it's, it's not going to be the big sins That's going to cause us problems. It's going to be the little things. You see, not only is it about getting to the mountains, we also have to be careful of the things that rob our affection for Christ. And they're out there. And they're like speed traps going down the highway. They're there to get you. You don't even know it. And for most of us, it's not going to be the big thing. A few weeks ago, I was walking downtown with with a number of friends. I got asked if I needed some drugs that that I just kind of laughed I guess I looked like I just needed some you know it was a rough day um, you know and not a big problem for me to be able to say no to that like no thanks I'm good you know like I'm not going to fall into into that trap you know uh lord willing you know um, tr- tr- trust I won't you know and uh, especially when I yeah anyways um last night Charlotte and I were out for a nice little walk and there were some people playing some game with a frisbee and a stick and some they had some um, beverage bottles there, and then they asked us if we wanted to join in this really fun drinking game, and it was like, mm, no, got to work tomorrow, you know, I mean, it wasn't a big temptation for me to go and, and start playing some game and, and partaking and maybe getting a little, not, not a problem for me, like that, that isn't an area of struggle in, in my life, thank God for that, but there are other things that are, and there are going to be things that are going to rob my affection for Jesus. At times, it's going to be in the television shows that I watch. I mean, not necessarily bad things, but it gets me laughing at things that make, can make a mockery of God's Word and His principles. And it, it steals, it robs me of some of that affection for Jesus. It's getting my eyes on worry and anxiety and wondering, oh God, how are you going to work this out? And, 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 and living in fear, and, and that robs my affection for Jesus. And that's where we need brothers and sisters. We need the body of Christ to walk with us, to, to help us, to, to encourage, to sometimes kick us and, and, and come alongside in, in mentoring and developing us spiritually as we w- walk together. But the good news is that it, good news in all of this is it doesn't come down to, to our own self-discipline di- and human, tra- human effort. Look at Paul. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to treasure Christ. And the power of his resurrection. Now, just think about the power of his resurrection. Think about the body of Jesus. Three days in the tomb. Think about that. He had been beaten. He was a mess. I mean, I won't go into it because I want you to enjoy the rest of the day. But basically, I mean, he was, his body was destroyed. And there he lay in the tomb. No refrigeration. No, I mean, you think about three days, laying there, getting smelly, getting all the stuff that happens to a body that's sitting there for three days. And all of a sudden, boom! Think of the power that went into that hunk of flesh and took that hunk of flesh and was new life. That was resurrection life. And all of a sudden, the blood starts flowing and the, the scars are healed and the broken bones, no, no no bones were broken, right? There were no broken bones, but, but the aching muscle, everything was just restored through the, through the power of the resurrection, from the power of God. And all of a sudden, this dead hunk of flesh came to life, resurrection life. That... Reality is for you and me once we are ready to die. We're dead and say, I'm done with it. Oh, Jesus, I worship you. Oh, Jesus, I need you. And that is treasuring. And that is when we are dead in, the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And Christ raised us. Be alive. and We've been raised in Christ, alive. It's His power. It's not about you trying to live it in your strength and power. You say, oh, Mel, I just don't have a lot of self-discipline to, to live a godly life. I know you don't, nor do I. Some of you have more discipline than others. Some of you are really good at discipline, but yet you're going to fail at it. It's resurrection power that we live in. We live on his strength and his power in our lives. And Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And even though you may be a Christian, you may need. In fact, I know you and I need to rediscover Christ on a daily basis. Not as the one who just simply hung on the cross for our sins and is alive today. But we rediscover him as our strength and our power to live out the Christian life. Oh, I pray that this week, I pray that even in the next few moments as we worship, as we gaze upon the beauty of our Savior and all that he has done, that we would be transformed even today from one degree of glory to the next. It's a process. It's it's a journey, and sometimes there's going to be steps backwards But as we walk together as the body of Christ, as we're in the word of God together, we see victory coming bit by bit. And it's no longer our sin that defines us. It is the Christ and the cross that defines us. It's resurrection power available to us every day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, even now we just say thank you. And Lord, I pray for friends here today that perhaps have been trusting, they trust you as Savior, but they're also holding on to a whole list of spiritual accomplishments. May we be willing to set those all aside and lose them in every day to lose ourselves. Consider ourselves dead to our past, even to our great accomplishments. Be thankful for them, thankful for what you're doing in our life, but that that wouldn't be what defines us, that the only thing that would define us day after day is you, Jesus. And may we hunger for more and more of you. Oh, may we know you, Jesus, as our Savior. May we daily make you our Lord, but may we pursue you as our treasure. And when we do that you will not disappoint for paul life was not easy he lost all things but he gained christ the guy was bubbling up with joy because this is the good news this is what the gospel is about through death there's life so help us to even dispose of all of those things we're clinging and holding on to that define us as Christians, as a good husband, a good father, a good mother, godly, desiring to follow God, young adult. And may it be you and you alone, Jesus. May that be where we park our faith on you. And may that be an expression of our worship even now. Let's stand together in worship.